This is Trevor for Lauren, Leo, and myself. Welcome to the Boo Crew Podcast, episode 205, a companion episode to 204, as we spotlight an awesome new horror film, Ivan Kavanaugh's Son, a time of release in theaters and on demand now. Episode 204 featured Andy Matichek from the film, and this time around, you're hanging out with her co-star, Emil Hirsch. This is his second time on the show. We talk about working with Ivan, the unique sound design, score, and the gore in this new film. We'll also talk about Emil's band, Hirsch, and some fun new music on the way from them, and a look into the future with Emil's serial killer movie with Bruce Willis, Megan Fox, and Machine Gun Kelly. Episode 205 starts now. This is Emil Hirsch, and you are listening to another terrifying episode of The Boot Crew. That's all we need. Another victim crawls onto the gurney for a Boo Crew autopsy. Joining the Boo Crew via the Speakeasy Studios, a multi-award winning actor and musician and returning guest to the show. Every project he does is brimming with passion and his film work is always genre defining. There's nothing he is in that isn't a joy to watch. From The Girl Next Door to Lords of Dogtown, Speed Racer, Into the Wild, collaborating with the likes of Quentin Tarantino and Once Upon a Time in Hollywood to William Friedkin, Andre Overdahl's The Autopsy of Jane Doe, and one of the most captivating horror mysteries ever, Guillermo del Toro's Troll Hunters animated series, and tons more cool stuff in the works. His likability, his sense of adventure, and his fearlessness creates this orbit of awesomeness that is singular to him. Then in 2019, he started making music with Mathieu Caratier, released the album Mnemonic, landing immediately on Spotify's alt playlist, features on seminal radio station K-Rock here in L.A., and since then, the output has been practically a new single every month. His new film has him starring alongside Andy Matichek and Luke David Blum. It's called Sun in theaters and on demand now. We are honored to welcome back the legendary Emil Hirsch. Wow. Wow. Yeah. That's great. I don't need that kind of intro. Dude, no. come on, man. <laughs> yeah. Dude, so how you been? The last yeah. time we saw you, as we were saying, was right before lockdown in February. Then your movie Freaks became real. Yeah. Right? We all were just locked away. I mean, it's been it's been such a crazy time. It really has. Dude. With the early lockdown, it's just it's been horrible, man. I mean, it's uh the tragedy and everything. It's just a crazy year, you know. Going back to Freaks for a second, I think it had like its digital release, maybe on Amazon Prime or something, just near the beginning of the pandemic, and people started tweeting about it, putting it on Instagram. Directors like Mike Flanagan. We're discovering it, talking about how much they love that movie. Were you privy to kind of that resurgence that happened? Were people was that part of the conversation again for a while for you? You know, I I didn't I didn't see it coming, but it was cool when it did, and it totally made sense. You know, people were people were kind of all in a similar circumstance as, as the dad and, and, and the girl were in that movie. So it, it kind of mirrored what was going on for people. It was pretty crazy. Yeah. It was was like we made this tiny movie and it was suddenly like doing really well. Things have not 
seem to have slowed down for you during the pandemic at all. What are some of the ways that you've been able to keep so busy? Well, the first thing was these movies that I had signed on to do last year. It was just luck that they ended up being some of the first movies that were back uh, during COVID. So this movie, Midnight in the Switchgrass, that I had worked on with Megan Fox and Bruce Willis, that ended up happening and we finished it. And then I went to Italy and Guatemala for this movie, State of Consciousness. And so I was over there. uh, And it's just a coincidence that these films were somehow able to come together because most of the, most of the people that I know, you know, the films just weren't able to happen. I mean, it costs a lot more. It's a lot harder to shoot. And so I just kind of got lucky that these films were able to happen. And, And then in the really hardcore lockdown time, it was just me and the Frenchman working on our second album, which actually is coming out March 12th called Denialism under Hirsch. And we just kept making these songs and we didn't have a whole lot to do. So we were able to put a lot of time into the music. And then, yeah, it comes out uh, next Friday. That is so exciting. Dude, are any of the singles that we've been hearing going towards that album? Or is this a whole entire new batch of tracks? So the, because our audience is so friggin' small, I looked on DistroKid. We've sold, I'm not kidding, of Mnemonic. We've sold like 50 copies. So we are a multi-platinum. <laughs> we're not. We're not. We're actually not. We're a bunch of losers. Um, <laughs> I would not say that. No. 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 But, but uh, so after we put Mnemonic out, we kept. We started the second record immediately, and our strategy, because we are so small, we were like, let's put each song out as we make it, and then in the end, we'll pull together like four new long songs, and then put all of them out together. So the people that are getting the album, you still have four new songs, which is a lot to have. And then we still get to include our other singles that we put out so that they have a home. And that's sort of, I guess that's a technique that like a lot of smaller people do just makes sense. Cause yeah. that way song can have its own little life as you put it out. Did you write remember days when with Mark Foster? Yeah. Yeah. Remember days when I wrote with Mark. And also, yeah, so the new track comes out Friday that we made together, which is even, it's one of our favorite tracks called Let Them Walk. Mark and I have been friends for a while and enjoyed making songs together. And he's contributed on a a couple other songs like guitar lines and things like that. I wanted to know what your feeling was when Matthew brought you the instrumental for My Dancer. It's very different from what you guys do in some very cool ways. There's a really yeah. cool drum loop. It almost sounds vintage not in an 80s way. It sounds like a gritty, dirty drum loop. It's got some really cool vocal affectation going at the beginning as part of the hook. I was excited, and, and the challenge was, you know, really getting a uh, hook, because I had a hook for it that I'd written. But Matchy was not convinced. So then I went on like the hook expedition and I wrote melodies. I wrote like 20 different melodies to try to fit in that hook. And he, he didn't really like any of them. And then finally, I, I did this one that is in the song. And it was like almost like falsetto. You know, it was like really high. Yeah. And then that one, he was like, ah, yes. Yes. <laughs>
So is Matthew like the ultimate decider? You know, he's got a really good, it's weird. Cause sometimes I'll be like, we'll be working on a song and I'll look at him and I'll be like, we got to cut the pre out of this song, man. And then I'll be like, it doesn't work. And then he'll look at me like, why didn't I think of that? And yeah. I'll be like, that is very smart. You know? <laughs> so I trust, I trust his taste a, a lot. That's one of his strongest elements as a, as a creative producer is he has great taste. And he's also someone that's like smart enough to where if you present a really good idea, he's going to recognize that he won't just fight it because it's not his idea. You know, on that note, the bridge of people we became, was that something that you labored on? Yes. Yes. That was a, that was a song. It was funny because Matthew, he, Matthew loves that song. And he was convinced that that song was going to be like this massive song. And I was like, I don't know, man, I guess you never know. And then it came out. It was like, flat lake what the hell it's like i encourage anyone who has not heard hirsch start with that song dude i was so proud of you when i heard that song i mean i love all your stuff but that song in particular i was like this should be on the radio right now oh thanks Yeah. yeah well it's just me it's just me and him working in his living room you know singing on the mic that's what's amazing, man. Do you think because of quarantine and having all this extra time that you guys are more critical on what you guys are making? Way more critical. <laughs> yeah. We're so much more critical. I mean, the first album, we were yeah. pretty critical, and he's very critical by nature. But this second album, we were way, way, like, just in terms of the lyrics. I remember we have this song called Reaction that we made that's going to coming out next Friday. And we spent days on the lyrics. I mean, days to the point where like we were at his, in his living room and I had written like, like 20 different versions of like one line. And it was like, and he looked at me and he's like, what is wrong with you? Like, what is going on with you? <laughs> like, like almost like building to a rage. And I was like, I had like my notepad and I was just like, I just, I just really want this line to be right. And then he like, he like kind of steeled himself because like that's completely how he thinks. And he was just like, yes, yes, you're right. You're right. <laughs> dude, <laughs> if you could see the weird shit that goes on with me and this dude, it's so weird. Oh my gosh, you should record it. Yeah, like, we need I to see like the documentary. For, yeah. yeah. <laughs> dude, <laughs> the Frenchman. So the last song we recorded, so mean. He like sits there with his laptop and his cigarette and I like sing the line and he like hits the space bar to pause it and he's like, my ears are in pain. <laughs> and I was like, is there a note off? Is there a note off? And he's like, every single note. Was <laughs> and I'm like, how are we going to sing live, man? You kill my confidence. You know, I don't That's even funny. think I'm like good at fucking karaoke now. He's convinced me I'm just the world's worst singer. You guys are like an old married couple at this point. (laughs) The Boo Crew will be right back. It is alive. The Loch Ness Horror. Listen to Eric Severide. We have always believed in Nessie. To Reader's Digest, there is something in Loch Ness. To Star Magazine, Scotland's famous creature takes over where Jaws left off. The Loch Ness Horror, rated PG. Parental guidance suggested.
get into to Sun. We'll do it musically first because we're on this tangent. Because that's one thing that really stands out in this movie. I, I wondered if you noticed that the score of Sun does some really amazing things, and not only in the way that helps ramp up the tension, but it gets polarizing by playing against the scene at times and makes things more frightening in that way. What did you feel the music did to the movie after you saw the completed version? Well, I would go like the music and not, I wouldn't even stop at the music, but also the sound design itself is something that I knew Ivan was going to do something really cool with the sound design because we made the Western never grow old together. And I remember I would talk to him after we shot the movie and he'd be like, the sound design in this movie is going to be massive. The sound design is going to be massive. And I'd never heard a director that emphasized sound design in that way. And, and when I saw Sun, I really realized that true to his, the sound design is going to be massive word. He kind of kept it. And the sound design is awesome and really um, makes the, makes the genre feel refreshing in ways that a lot of, a lot of films in that genre without that kind of sound design they would feel more familiar, but I think the sound design is so unique that it kind of keeps it feeling fresh a little bit. Right. And that's one thing. I mean, when you go back to never grow old, which is fantastic by the way, and any horror fan should definitely see that because it's got that, it retains like a Gothic Western feel and probably John Cusack's like best performance, by the way. But talking about Ivan's vision in general, he is very much a visionary. That film, Never Grow Old, won an award for its cinematography, for instance. And Sun has a very distinct and terrifying look. What are the things you love about Ivan's just vision in general? I think that he's a guy who is, he's so meticulous, you know. He, he, he puts so much care and craft into every element of the movie and you know it's not because he doesn't have a life or anything it's just because he loves doing it yeah and he he really no but he really uh you know every every performance even the smallest parts he he takes such care in casting just get the right actor and then not only does he get the right actor but he gets the best work out of him and and that was something that i always really admired about him and from never grow old to, to to this film as well is 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 his commitment to to casting in that way and piers mcgrail the dp is fantastic we did both of those films and there's a really dark kind of gothic vibe to them and it doesn't just stop there with the sound design and the cinematography and the performance even the effects you know for really low budget movies ivan puts so much importance on makeup effects and effects he did the same thing on never grow old like i've worked on a lot of movies where it's like oh you got a gunshot but like on never grow old the gunshot was like an entire rig that i would like have on me just so it would like bleed and ooze in the right way and he kind of applies that same that same level of detail to sun and the the effects are maybe they're really disturbing they become, I don't know, the more meaningful or more grounded in reality, it feels more visceral for some reason. And it just makes it extra terrifying. You feel it in your gut. Yeah, it's disturbing. Wearing your producer hat uh, for this movie, were you part of the decision-making process in terms of filming certain scenes or cutting any sequence out of the movie? No, not at all. I Do I have a producer hat? Did, did I get a credit? Yeah, you did. Yes. Wow. <laughs> Just shows you what BS all those producers right. I didn't even know I had this bit. Jeez. The three of you have such a sincere and believable chemistry as well. 
is that something you have to foster outside of set? I mean, I'm never someone that's like, we've got to create this chemistry as people so that we get along better in the scene. Like that just seems so phony and, and like, I don't know, like manipulative to do like, let's get along as people so that our scene characters get along. Right. Right. It just seems wrong. So I never really do that, you know, but with Andy and Luke, they're such nice, cool people and fun that like, yeah, we got along great. I don't know if, does that help or not? I don't know. You always hear, you always hear stories of like, you know, those love interests in that movie. Well, they hated each other. And then you watch the movie and you're like, (laughs) I had no idea. It looks like they love each other, you know? So I don't know. I don't necessarily like place too much importance on that. Like, we got a bond in real life. We got a bond. Quick, quick, quick. Yeah. Shoot <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, yeah. I don't know. That yeah. just seems like almost like phonier, you know? I don't really do that. And, but because I don't do that, I probably like get along better with people because they're not like, this guy's just like, this guy's some method actor trying to use me, man. Right, right. Now I get it. I get it. Now the audience is really tethered to your character as an observer and as a safe space. We kind of, enter the story through you know we want to cling to you there is a great moment that it's weird i can't picture the film without this one moment it grounds everything and maybe i'm looking into it too much but you guys are sitting at the dining room table i think the first time you meet in the film and you just kind of half-assedly mention you know we're gonna fucking get him we're gonna fucking get him right and andy looks at you and she almost like takes a double take like almost as if you made that up on the spot or something like she looks genuinely surprised was that moment scripted or did you just throw that in there yeah i think i threw that in there yeah, yeah like it looks sure. like you threw it in there you're just yeah. like we're gonna fucking yeah, and then you apologize and you're, you're I'd be like, I'd be, i'm gonna say this i'm gonna say that you be like ah good 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 yeah he didn't he was pretty cool with it did you have a favorite scene in the film where either you brought something of your own to it or there's a scene I do with Cranston Hughes that Ivan felt was a little bit underwritten. So Ivan was like pushing me to work on some of my lines a little bit and to try to sell them. And there was one part where he's like, Cranston's like, do you need, are you too close to this woman or, 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 or what's going on? Are you guys hooking up? And, and I look at him and I'm like, we made out Steve. Does that mean I'm in a relationship now? And I just like, <laughs> I don't know. Just some of the, I think that scene I I liked in particular, I had a lot of fun working with Cranston Hughes. You know, you really kind of like, you're getting like the other side of Paul a little bit in that scene where he's trying to, he's trying to convince his partner that he's, that he's not too invested with Laura and, and, and all that kind of stuff. Without giving anything away, what were your thoughts when you read the full script and you saw the ending? I was like kind of surprised. I didn't really see it coming, yeah. but it made, it made a lot of what was happening make a lot more sense. I was like, Oh yeah, that doesn't make sense. My whole thing playing the part was just like not wanting, not wanting to ruin the mystery and not wanting to be too, um, not too showy or something that would like attract unwanted attention to certain things, you know, that kind of thing. Is there something in particular nowadays that you look for in projects that drive you or compels you? I'm super simple. I just like, I try to read something and if I find it good, I find it good. If I don't, I don't. It's a, it's a really like, 
it's almost just like a guy at a video store. Yeah. You know, I'll be, this looks good. This could be good. You know? I love that. <laughs> now, finally, yeah. finally, we are so stoked because we've just heard so much uh, about Midnight in the Switchgrass. I mean, you, Bruce Willis, and Megan Fox, you put all that on paper. I mean, what can you tell us about just the journey, a little bit about the journey that that film promises to take us on? Yeah, I think it could be like a really cool, like serial killer film. I play um, a sheriff, like Florida, uh, like state sheriff in it. Got a cool mustache, really good kind of stand-up dude in it. And it was a really well-written script by Alan Horsnell. And uh, Randall Emmett directed it. It's his first movie. I'm really excited to, to see what he does. He's already done another movie since. It's kind of amazing. He's oh like directing nonstop now. Yeah. It was a lot of fun to make. I had a great time working with Megan. She's a total total pro and uh, Bruce as well. And Lucas Haas is in it. Who's a good buddy of mine and a great, a great dude. I'm excited to, to kind of see, you know, how, how we executed that script, which is great. Yeah. And machine gun Kelly's also in it, which I've yeah, never, I've MDK, never seen dude. him act. I've never he's seen him great. act before. Yeah. He's, I heard he's great in it too. Did you end up having any scenes with him or working with him? I don't directly? have any scenes with him, but we hung out a little bit and he's just a great dude. Wow, dude, you got so much fun stuff on the way, man. I can't even believe it. I can't wait for this album, dude. Yeah, I'm yeah. super excited. Yeah. I hope you guys like it. Give yeah. our love to Matt too. That guy's oh, awesome. For sure. <laughs> for sure. The Frenchman. Yeah. Thank you so much. Great to <laughs> see you, dude. Guys. Yes. Thank you. I was looking forward to this yeah. one. Awesome, Bye, guys. man. See ya. Awesome. That was the Boo Crew Podcast, episode 205. Special thanks to our guest, Emil Hirsch. Follow him at Emil Hirsch on Instagram and Twitter. Check out his new film, Son, at time of release in theaters and on demand now, as well as the new album from Hirsch, available everywhere next Friday. Music for this episode from Hirsch. Production tracks provided by Powerman 5000. Till next time, it is the Boo Crew saying sweet screams. Thanks for listening to another episode of the Boo Crew Podcast. Haunt the Boo Crew at TalesFromTheBooCrew.com. Tales from the Boo Crew on Facebook and Instagram. Follow us on Twitter at Tales from the Boo. The Boo Crew is Lauren and Trevor Shand and Leone D'Antonio. The Boo Crew is produced by Lauren Shand. Chapter sliced by Trevor Shan. The Boo Crew is a TSP creation, part of the Bloody Disgusting Podcast Network. Bye! The Bloody Disgusting Podcast Network, home of the Boo Crew. For horror-centric interviews, SCP archives, weekly full-cast storytelling, horror queers, genre commentary from an LGBTQ perspective, and creepy, for disturbing and terrifying creepy pastas. Listen free wherever you stream audio and at bloodydisgusting.com slash podcasts.